Bonnie Joe Laughlin here, joined by my co-host Adam Copeland for the Weekly Pass. And we have a good friend of mine, Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon, who played professionally for 23 seasons in the CFL and NFL, majority with the Houston Oilers and the Edmonton Eskimos in the CFL, and then was named to nine Pro Bowls. And he was in the league until retiring at 44 and then inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2006, where I was honored to be there with my father. Happy to have you on, Warren. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, you uh, you reminded me of those 23 years. I feel those every morning when I wake up. <laughs> Do you really want Because you look, when I see you at Derby and everywhere else, you're bouncing around like a kid. I actually feel pretty good. I, I'm finally starting to get a, l- a little bit of problems in my uh, in my left shoulder. But other than that, I feel really good. One thing I wanted to add, though, too, as well, when I introduced you, is that you were the first African-American quarterback and the first undrafted quarterback to receive the honor into the Hall of Fame. I mean, that's a huge deal. Me and Copes were talking about before you came on. Yeah, the only one, believe it or not, and I'm, I'm hoping that I can get another one to come in there at some point uh, here pretty soon, whether it's uh, Donovan McNabb or maybe mm-hmm. uh, Randall Cunningham or, or uh, you know, any of the other great players that played that position. Uh, I don't want to be in there by myself for, for very long. <laughs> did you, Warren, did you face adversity with that, being that you were, I mean, one of the early-on African-American quarterbacks? There used to be the, the stigma that an African-American couldn't be playing that position. Is it, did you face any of that? Oh yeah, I faced a ton of it, and, and you know there were guys before me that faced even more so than than myself, like Marlon Briscoe. Yeah, and, I was looking and, at him, uh, James Harris, guys like that. But uh, those guys kind of paved the way for me and kind of gave me the inspiration that I could play the position. And I knew it was going to be tough because there wasn't a lot of us, and, and there was a stigma about uh, African Americans playing that position. But you know, I stuck to my guns, and uh, I felt like I was good enough, and I just kept uh, kept progressing forward, looking for that opportunity. And when I finally got the opportunity, I made the most of it. Yeah, and talk about that, Warren. I mean, people don't realize, you know, the modern era doesn't realize how hard it was for you. It wasn't that you weren't good enough to play in the NFL. It was the fact that they didn't want you in there. They were, you know, they didn't draft you. Then you had to go to the CFL. Kind of walk us through that journey and, you know, like Cope said, the adversity and the, you know, I guess personally and professionally what you had to deal with. Yeah, it went all the way back to high school, believe it or not. I, oh, really? I'm okay. getting on the field in high school and then when I was being recruited, uh, to college, uh, I couldn't get recruited as a quarterback out of any major colleges that wanted to throw the football. That's why I went to junior college for a year just to kind of increase my opportunities to to get uh, recruited by the major colleges. And finally, the University of Washington and a number of other ones did recruit me as a quarterback. And I chose Washington because I wanted to stay on the West Coast and play in the in the Pac-8 and play in the Rose Bowl one day. And that 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 dream finally came alive for me uh, in my senior year. And and uh, I thought I had done enough being Pac-8 Player of the Year and been Rose Bowl MVP to at least get uh, drafted in the NFL, but did not get drafted in the NFL either. So that's why I went to Canada and uh, had a great career up there. And finally, uh, teams in the NFL decided it was that time. So uh, I put myself in a great position once I went up to Canada, but that was something that I didn't really want to do. I wanted to go to the NFL just like every other uh, kid coming out of college, get drafted and then go to go to an NFL team, but it didn't happen that way for me. And I, I knew the reasons why, and, and I had to deal with it, but I wasn't going to give up um, my opportunity to play quarterback. I wasn't going to change positions. Uh, I knew I was good enough to play at the top level. It was just a matter of, like I said, somebody giving me that opportunity to do it. And once uh, I got those opportunities, I, uh, I, chose, uh, the, I chose Houston to, to go to, to play my professional football, and, and everything worked out from there. And 17 years later, I had a pretty good career in the NFL. 
So many times, Warren, is it true that they kept wanting you to switch positions to wide receiver and you said, I'm not fast enough, I'm a quarterback. How many times, was that happening all the way back from high school or this was just during college and then um, NFL possibly? It was mainly college and, and, and NFL. And uh, in high school, yeah, yeah, I had the chance to play the position, but uh, the, the coach just didn't want to put me on the field. I was third team, believe it or not, when I was in the 10th grade and, and uh, just couldn't get on the field uh, in any way, form, or fashion. Um, because of the two guys ahead of me, and the the varsity coach saw my abilities, and, and between my sophomore and junior year, he came up to me and said, "You're going to be my starting varsity quarterback next year as a junior." So, just people having belief in you and, and having belief with nothing other than than just what your abilities are, and not the color of your skin or anything like mm-hmm. that, has a lot to do with it. And that's one of the reasons why I got those opportunities because they looked at me as a player, and they didn't look at anything else but that. So after that 83 season with the Edmonton Eskimos, did you become a, you became a free agent? They bought your rights? Or how did that all work? Did you have an agent? Walk us through that, Warren. And was the Houston Oilers the only team that wanted you? Well, Lee Steinberg was my agent coming out of college, and he's the one that kind of took me through the whole NFL, CFL process, and he was the one giving me all the information on whether I was going to be drafted or not. So he stuck with me throughout that whole six-year career up in Canada, uh, when I came back to the NFL because I wasn't drafted, I was a free agent. And there wasn't free agency in football at that time, but yeah, I was a free agent. And uh, I was in a great position. So I had six or seven teams uh, bidding for my services. And and uh, because of that, I really was able to get a, a good contract. I was the highest paid player in NFL history when I came back into the league, believe it or not, uh, just because of the position that I was in, uh, that I could command that type of money. So... Uh, it was a great position to be in at that time, but like I said, there were six years that I went up to Canada and played that I, I don't regret at all because I had a great time playing up there. I, I met great people. We won a lot of football games, but uh, those were six years I could have had playing in the National Football League as well. I probably felt pretty damn good, man, being the highest paid player in the league after the <laughs> NFL's like, nah, man, you're not getting drafted. Yeah, it, it it just kind of uh, made me feel uh, everything was worth it. Everything that I went through, uh, all the all the sacrifice and the patience that I showed uh, going up there to play. Because even though we were winning, you know, we won five championships my first five years, but you're still you're in another country, uh, you're in another uh, culture, you're you're away from home. You, you, there's a lot of homesickness. It gets very cold up there late in the season. So there were a lot of times where you know I was a little bit unhappy, but again, winning kind of. S- solve some of that stuff because you, if you're winning football games and you're on, in a good environment in a city that loves you, uh, it makes it a little bit easier to survive. But uh, again, as I watch television and watch NFL games once our season was over, it's like, you know, I should be out there playing with these guys. I think I'm good enough to play with them. So in the back of my mind, that curiosity was always there. Can I play with the best players in, in football? And those best players were definitely in the NFL. I want to transition a little bit to more the modern game today and talk about some of the quarterbacks and, and the thinking of a quarterback today. I know you're up in Seattle doing stuff with the Seahawks, and uh, they're not in the midst of a quarterback controversy whatsoever. Not at all. No, not with Russell Wilson <laughs> laying in bed and announcing his all. contract. They're the highest player in the league right now, Russell Wilson. I think he's making about $36 million a year, and he deserves it. And he's had a great career so far through his first eight years, and, and the Seahawks uh, rewarded him uh, handsomely because of that. Uh, but uh, they are a really good football team, and, and they got rid of a lot of veteran players over the last couple of years, and they have a, a, a young nucleus of guys that they think are ready to step in and, and take over the mantle of some of those leaders that they had before, like Michael Bennett and Richard Sherman and some of the guys that they don't have here anymore. 
Let's let's piggyback on that a little bit because I always wonder about a coach like Pete Carroll, who's the oldest coach in the league, been around for for a number of years with the same organization. Does the message ever get stale for a guy who's been up there? I know Earl Thomas left with a bad taste in his mouth. Richard Sherman, of course, left, as you mentioned. Uh, But how does a guy like Pete Carroll keep the message fresh for veteran guys who've been there for a number of years? You know, it's hard to do because, uh, like you said, uh, he's more of a rah-rah type of coach, and and, uh, he has a lot of messages that he tries to give the players every day and every week, Uh, a lot of different games and different things that they play with the team. So if if you've been around that for, you know, five, six, seven years, it can get a little bit stale, especially if you've had as much success as those guys have had um, in their through their first six years. You know, they went to two Super Bowls. They're, they won uh, a lot of individual awards. So it, it can get, get kind of old, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why it was time to move on from those guys. And sometimes you just need a fresh start, a fresh attitude, a new address. And you need new players to come in that you can uh, feed that same type of philosophy to that are going to take on to it. And I think Pete has a group of guys like that now who uh, who who really are eager to, to be good and set their mark in the league. And, and they're willing to do whatever they can and, and whatever he says because they've seen where he's had success not only in college but also in the NFL. So they're going to they're going to they're going to drink the Kool Aid. They're going to they're going to believe the things that he's saying because they know that uh, if they do good things can happen for them too. So that's where this team is right now. A good young football team with a with a good mixture of veterans. Uh they went they made the playoffs last year in a, in a year where most people thought it was a rebuilding year and I think they have even a better football team coming into the season this year. We we're talking with you a lot about the the African American quarterback and how that's become a big part of today's game even so many more than when you played. Dwayne Haskins of course gets drafted, Jameis Winston, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, even the different type of mobile quarterback than we were used to seeing. Have you had a chance to talk to any of these guys or, or, or impart any of your knowledge or advice on the end? Yeah, we had a, a black quarterback conference, believe it or not, about a month and a half ago in oh, Atlanta. Yeah. And, I, and I had a chance to talk to a lot of the guys there. And, and uh, a lot of them I keep in contact with throughout the season, you know, whether I'm just sending them texts or sending them positive messages based on, you know, how they played that particular week, if they had a down week or if they did something very well. So I've got relationships with a lot of these guys, you know, Deshaun Watson, uh, Jameis Winston, uh, uh, Russell Wilson, of course, and and uh, it's it's great to see. Um, you know, you you look at the the league right now. Patrick Mahomes is the reigning MVP, an African American. You look at Russell Wilson, the highest paid player in the league, African American. You look at the first overall pick in the in the draft, Kyler Murray, an African American. So African American quarterbacks are really really have emerged and are in a great position right now in the NFL, and and uh, I'm really proud of that because. I know the sacrifices that went uh, for, from a lot of guys like myself and Randall Cunningham and, and Doug Williams and, and even further back, like I talked about, with, with uh, James Harris and, and, and Marlon Briscoe. And, and that's something that we can look at and say uh, we played a little bit of part in that, in the, in the success that these guys and the opportunities that these guys are having right now. Now, Warren, you were talking about how you're the mentor for a lot of these these guys. Who was there for you? I mean, I know that Lee was, you know, your agent who stuck by you. But was there anyone else that kind of helped you and molded you and um, during the adversity and struggles during that time? You know, uh, Bonnie Joe, just because there wasn't a lot of guys uh, that played the position, there just wasn't a lot of guys that uh, that I could lean on. Um, mm-hmm. When I came into the NFL in 1984. I was the only starting black quarterback in the league, and then the only other black quarterback in the league was my third-team quarterback, a guy by the name of Brian Ransom, who went to Tennessee State. 
Doug Williams was in the USFL at that time. I think uh, Vince Evans was in the USFL at that time. So there wasn't any other guys in the league that I could really lean on and, and, and create a, a relationship with. But, you know, later on as I got into the league and, and guys came back and Randall Cunningham was drafted into the league, then we started to form a little bit of a bond there. But it took a while before you actually had enough guys that you could, you could really uh, communicate with and lean on. Now, you played 23 seasons, you know, CFL and NFL, went from the Houston Oilers, then the Vikings, then the Seahawks and the Chiefs. What kept you motivated, Warren, to continue to keep playing um, after all those years? Uh, just chasing that ring and uh, uh, just loving to compete and, and trying to get the most out of my uh, my football career that I could. I really, really loved the game from, from the time I was a young kid. You know, I studied it. I read a lot about it. I know the history of the game. Uh, I love playing it. And I knew once you retire out of football, there's no coming back. You look at Tom Brady, you look at Drew Brees, you look at Phillip Rivers, all these guys are playing, <clears throat> playing a lot longer these days because they know so much more about their bodies, they know so much more about nutrition, uh, they're not taking the big hits like they, like they used to, so they're protecting the quarterback so much better. So you're going to see a lot of quarterbacks play a lot longer into their careers than uh, just like I did when I, when I played. So... Um, it's just a tribute to uh, to, the, to the game, uh, the way these guys love the game and the way they want to compete and keep competing at the highest level. And you look at Tom Brady, you think he's done everything he, he could do winning six Super Bowls. He still has a hunger to play the game, and you got to love that competition. Well, you said something there that I think anybody who watches football now and watch football when you played thinks about is that guys today are not taking the big hit, which is maybe helping them prolong their careers a little more. You're talking about the elite guys are still playing into their 40s or into their late 30s. Uh, do you like the officiating now? I know you were a big a gunslinger yourself. You a fan of the offense? I'm a great fan of, of this open openness of the offense because this is something that we were doing back in 1990, 91, and 2 and 3 uh, with the run and shoot, and everybody looked at that as kind of a gimmick offense, but that's what everything is. everybody's doing now. They, they're going four and five wide receivers. They're spreading everybody out. They're running a lot of the same uh, route combinations that we ran uh, in the run and shoot. And, uh, and and that's that's just something that uh, I feel a little bit of credit for because uh, I was kind of a trendsetter, you know. And like I said, everybody looked at it as, as a gimmick, but now that's the way the league has gone. And it's a wide-open football game. Quarterbacks for, are throwing for four and 5,000 yards like it's nothing, and, and they're being protected. So you got to love uh, what's happening to the quarterback position. I noticed you said run and shoot. And I don't mean to rip the scabs off old wounds, but you didn't say K-gun, no huddle offense. <laughs> no, that's, a, that's another one though. But that that was another offense that was wide open. It was uh, it was fast paced. It was it was four wide receivers, and and Jim Kelly was throwing the ball all over the place, and and uh, Thurman Thomas was running the ball over the place. So those were offenses that uh, really were innovative at the time, and uh, they've kind of evolved into that's the way the league is played right now. But Warren, imagine if you were playing right now, the, the yards you put up, the TDs, the stats. I mean. Without, you know, Romanowski and someone like John Randall coming after you, like, imagine what you would have put up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it'd be scary. I mean, you look at some of the other guys that played during my era, whether it's Dan Marino or or you look at uh, John Elway or some of the guys that played during my time, what numbers we'd all be throwing for. But uh, that's the way the game goes, and it's the same thing with money. Look what these guys are being paid compared yeah. to what we were being paid. But but that's, that's what you call improvement and evolution. And, and I'm happy for all the guys for, for all that they're doing uh, with the game. 
I'm happy for the money that they're making. I just hope they understand uh, there were guys before them that helped pave that way. The, the money situation is an interesting one because football to me is the, the really the one sport where you go to war with your guys, with your teammates, right? You're going to put your bodies on the line. Now you're in situations where these guys who are supposed to be the elite players on each team oftentimes are sitting out or holding out is what it's called, I guess, before you uh, get your extension or your big contract into the regular season. What do teammates feel about that? I know it's different than when you played, but these are guys who were supposed to be leaders, supposed to be going to battle with you, and they're saying, you know, I'm putting my, my own pocketbook ahead of maybe the rest of the team. Well, I think every player in that locker room would love to have all the guys there because that's what a team is all about. And you know, especially certain guys who are important to your football team, you need them there in order to be successful. But there's also a business side of it that we all understand, that that uh, if a guy is trying to get more money and he has to do whatever he can to get more money, we understand that. And we just hope it, it doesn't last as long as it as it, it, uh, as it needs to, to to hurt the football team. So uh, it, it's a sticky situation, but most guys you'll see will never, never usually get involved with a guy and his money and his contract talks. He'll always try and be as supportive as he possibly can, and he'll just look at, okay, when he gets here, he gets here. Until then... We'll go with the guys that we have. And you almost look at him as if he's an injured guy. He's a yeah. guy that, that's injured and he can't play right now. But when he's when that injury is healed, he'll be back and he'll be with us. Hey, man, you call games from up in the broadcast booth, and now we're going to more instant replay on the defensive side. Do you Are you a fan of what's going to happen this year with the defensive pass interference reviewable plays? I like I like it in the last two minutes, but I don't think if you do that throughout the game, the game is going to become too long. So uh, if it's crucial crucial times in the game, like the last two minutes of a half or the last two minutes of a of a football game, where those those calls could be something that that really changes the outcome of the football game, so be it. But officials are going to make mistakes, just like players drop passes, players miss tackles, players throw interceptions. Officials are going to miss some calls, so you can't get everything right. It's not a perfect science, but if it happens in the last two minutes, I think that's the time where you could go back and review it. And well, we were kind of laughing because you know some of the antics of some of these guys showing up at training camp. You know, what have you seen this? Like Jalen Ramsey, he's showing up in an armored truck because he wants to get paid. Antonio Brown in a hot air balloon. I mean, could you imagine that stuff happening when you played? <laughs> no, I, I really couldn't because this is a more uh, individualized society that we live in right now. And this this whole social media thing is has really made people really get into themselves. And I look at just ordinary, everyday people walking through a mall, just taking pictures of themselves walking through the mall. I mean, so they could send it to their friends. It's like, what are you doing with this footage? Uh, you're taking a picture of yourself walking through the mall, and you're going to send it out on social media. So this is just kind of the uh, the, the, the society that we live in, and all these guys are trying to one-up each other on, on how they come to training camp. And, and it doesn't surprise me, but I, I think it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, Frank, Frank Reich wasn't parachuting into training camp, you know what I mean? Like, no, no, no. I showed up to training camp. I was trying to hide to get into training camp because I didn't want I didn't want to have to do any interviews walking in. I wanted to unpack my car, get my stuff in my room, and get things situated. I didn't want to have to stop and do interviews, but these guys are looking for the cameras, and that's the difference between now and then. You think there's something lost with what training camp is now? Like, we're up here in the Bay Area. The Raiders do get out of town a little bit. They go up to Napa. The 49ers just stay at their little facility, but you guys actually went to camp. You know, training camp isn't anything what it used to be. There's no more two-a-days, first of all. That's yeah. what training camp used to be about, two-a-days. And some teams even went three-a-days, believe it or not. But, uh, you know, now they they have limited amount of contact. 
they have, like I said, one practice a day and then a walkthrough. It doesn't last as long as it used to. And training camp used to be where you came and, and you really got mentally and physically tough to get ready for the season. And if you could make it through a training camp of those two-a-days of having to get your body you know, bumped around, you go take a nap and you come back and do it again, those are the things that make you mentally and physically tough to get ready for the season. So you can endure anything that happens during the season. Well, that doesn't happen anymore, and um, I don't even know why these guys complain about training camp. Basically, you're just going going to get get yourself ready for the season, and and it's it's, it's nothing strenuous, I don't think. But uh, you, you talk to these guys; they think they're going through the toughest time of their life, and uh, it's nothing like what it used to be. Now, before we let you go, Warren, any bold predictions for this upcoming season in the NFL? Like, you know, I mean, we're me and Copes. I think Copes. We're. I'm thinking the Chiefs may go to the Super Bowl or maybe even win it all. But anything bold predictions? I, I actually you? picked your Seahawks, man, to do some oh. damage in the NFC. Yeah, I don't have any bold predictions, but you know, I think there's going to be a, a few surprise teams. I think the Raiders are going to be much better this year than people think, even though they're in a very, very tough division. I don't think they'll win their division or anything like that because the Chargers and and uh, and the Chiefs are still the class of that division. Uh, I think Cleveland's going to be much more improved, mm-hmm. even though you know I don't think they're going to go as far as everybody thinks they are, but they should be better. Uh, but I think Pittsburgh will still win that division. Uh, you know, there's there's just some teams I think that are going to make some strides. I think the New York Jets will be better this year with Sam Darnold in his second year. Uh, I think they made some uh, healthy uh, free agent acquisitions and also had a strong draft. So I, I think they're going to be much more improved. But I think the same top teams are going to be in it before it's all said and done. Philadelphia is going to be good in the NFC. Seattle, like you talked about, uh, Dallas is going to be right up there as well. Uh, so there's a lot of good teams. New Orleans is going to be up there in the NFC, and, and then you go to the AFC. You can never count out the uh, the New England Patriots because of the division that they play in. Um, a, a lot of good teams in the AFC, but I think I agree with you, uh, Bonnie Joe. I think Kansas City uh, has enough to to maybe uh, get over the top this year and, and and get to the Super Bowl. They got a a very talented football team. They they've made improvements on defense. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think their quarterback, Pat Mahomes, is only going to be better in his second year. He might not have the statistics that he had last year, you know, f- over 50 touchdown passes and 5,000 yards, but I think he'll be more efficient this year. And uh, uh, I just think they'll, they'll, they'll have what it takes the experience to maybe get him over the hump to get him to, uh, to the Super Bowl this year. Well, thank you, Warren, for joining us. I love hearing your stories because normally when we talk to you, we just break down the NFL, but I want to talk to you more about your backstory because I think that's so interesting and what you dealt with. Well, I appreciate it, and thanks for having me yeah. on. And you know I'm available to you anytime you need me. Uh, thanks, Warren. Hope to see you soon. Okay, take thanks, care, buddy. guys. So I love hearing you know Warren's stories because a lot of time, Copes, when he is on you know air, he's usually just talking about, obviously, he's an analyst now, but talking more just about the game, breaking down the X's and O's and the games. But he you know has a story that I think a lot of people tend to forget, especially in the modern era, like what he dealt with, you know, being having the talent but not getting drafted and just because of the color of his skin. So many guys, I think, in the NFL, like they stay – um, tied to the game through either the coaching trees or to the broadcasting tree like he has. Uh, but you're right in that uh, he's got a feel for what the game of football was when he got into it. He's got a great feel for what the game of football offers now because of his analyst position. Um, but you're right. Like when I was a kid, um, and Warren Moon was probably at the back end of his career even when I was a kid, there were not many black quarterbacks mm-hmm. in the NFL. And being an African-American, like you, you look around – uh, at baseball, and, and it's easy for me to say, you know, Barry Bonds and Ken Griffey Jr. were my favorites. I'm left-handed. They were black. Mm-hmm. I'm black. I can look to those guys. The NBA, it was rampant. It was everywhere. Yeah. The NFL, you could be a receiver. You could be a running back. You could be a defensive back or a D-end. But to be quarterback, you either had to be, when I was a kid, you were Dante Culpepper. You were McNabb. You were 
Um, McNair? Uh, uh, McNair. McNair, yeah. you had, yeah, of course, Air McNair, man, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. And then you had Michael Vick, who even Michael yeah. Vick was a, you know, not a, quote, passing quarterback. He was a mobile running quarterback. He made a great point, did Warren Moon, talking about all the African Americans at the position today, even talking about Russell Wilson being the highest paid, Mahomes yeah. being the MVP, the number one pick being Kyler Murray. It's incredible. And he loves it, though. He encourages these guys. He's been mentors to a lot of them. I remember him doing some stuff with Cam Newton. So he's been... Oh, Cam Newton. Yeah. How do you... I mean, yeah. you look he's, at half the league now, yeah. and you've got some of the best quarterbacks And they're in good. Football. They're not just there. They yeah. actually, you know... I mean, there's a time, remember, with Cordo Stewart, they called him Slash, and they were like, oh, see, this is how a black quarterback should be, He's right? a slasher, yeah. He can run. He yeah. can do catch, this and that. But these are true quarterbacks now. I mean, that can sling it, that have the arm, that are efficient. And I think it's great to see how it has progressed, starting with someone like a Warren. Yeah, it's it's great that he embraces the um, the fact that he was able to pave some of that way, and he gives credit to the guys before him. But also, he just had to figure it out. Him saying like, "I didn't really have guys to turn to; I just had to figure it out for myself." Right, and you know, I I didn't really know until I was doing a little research about Martin Briscoe, how he had, you know was in the Denver organization, but it was only one season that he had like a starter. Right. Warren actually started for you know many seasons after seventy eight to whatever in the thousand. Yeah, yeah, so. So, you know, it's kind of crazy just to see, though, that, you know, the impact and that he is the only undrafted and African-American quarterback in the hall. And he says, we got to get me another one. in. Yeah. I mean, are you, are you on board with McNabb going in? I don't I'm I don't, on the fence about it. I'll be honest with you. With yeah, I when he said that, I went, uh, I don't know. I, what do you go? Five or four NFC championship yeah, games? He was always there, but they never won. The one, big one of them. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I, McNabb for me, he's up there. He's, yeah, he's the a one that won that, phenomenal quarterback, but did not get the big one done. No, and that's, no, the, that's thing the thing. Is, you never you get, got it done. You get your Super Bowl, a uh, little bit changes. Yeah, you know what I mean? a lot of, but there's guys that are in the hall because they have multiple Super Bowls they're in. Yeah. That pushes you over. Exactly. It's, it's maybe why Eli Manning is still competing for a job in New York. <laughs> right. uh, you were talking about your predictions for the season. You said you like the Chiefs going on. Yeah, out I like the, the Chiefs. I mean, look what they did. I mean, if it wasn't for – I mean, even look at that game, that game, that battle, that AFC Championship game. Look at it. I mean, Tom Brady, one year older. You know, I know we always say this, but they're not. You know, the Patriots are getting older. Well, that's what you say about Brady. He's never been older. I know. But I think Mahomes yeah. is going to be actually better, and they have added more, you know, talent to their defense core and their receiving core and everything. I do think they have a chance. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I have them. I don't. Maybe if it's not even. I should. I said a bold prediction. I don't even know what's really if it's that bold. No, but they they they, they, uh, they did lose Kareem Hunt last year to the yes, Cleveland Browns. Browns. He's only serving a, a short suspension. It seems like uh, they made the right decision. I think on that. Yeah. Though, there you got a contestant, but they brought back Tyreek Hill uh, mm-hmm. after some of the uh, the scandal from him over the offseason. You got Damian Williams back there, Kelsey, Travis Kelsey. <laughs> I mean, there. So I mean, you know, the Chiefs are going to be dangerous. I'm with you. The Pats are up there. I really do think the Seattle Seahawks are going to be a dangerous team. They consistently are. The Rams, I think, maybe take a bit of a step back. This That's year. what I think. I think they take a step back too. What do you think about Jerry Jones? Made comments just today, actually earlier today, about you don't need a. Uh, uh, an elite rusher to win a Super Bowl. He went out and he signed Alf Morris. He just got Alf Morris because right now we know Zeke is holding out, which he knows. I mean, from the Emmett Smith days, you, you, need, a, you need someone in the backfield. By the way, props, Come on. props to, uh, to Zeke for saying, I'm holding out. I'm going to go do it in Cabo. Yeah, I'm going I'm to work out in Cabo. <laughs> yeah, work, on my, work, on, work on his tan and uh, some money. I don't yeah, know. good deal. <laughs> thinking about money. Okay, well, that's it. We're going to wrap it up and we'll be back again. And like I said, you know, all the big-time players, Hall of Famers, all on the Weekly Pass.